Before we get going with today's episode, I wanted to let everybody know that we will be moving the first book club episode to the podcast, which releases on March 28th, 2021. That's episode 10. And our goal is going to be doing it every five episodes. So episode 10, episode 15, 20, you get the idea. So as a reminder, the first book we're doing is With by Sky Jatani. So grab your copy and now you have an extra month to get that read. And we're going to have a guest on. We're really excited about that. So enjoy this episode and see you guys later. And I have been searching What most people say just can be found But you always find me out Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Can't compare with what you're worth. I'm really excited for our topic today. We're going to go over the B-I-B-L-E and discuss whether it's the book for us. You know, where'd it come from? Is it true? What is truth? And then we get deeper and deeper and uh, we, we hope you can follow us. <laughs> been screaming All these messages I thought you wanted to hear but it only takes a whisper And I'll give you all my heart Well, I think on today's episode, I kind of just want to jump into the topic. Because Let's do it. I've got a lot of notes here. <laughs> um, so we, a couple episodes ago, we left off on, you know, kind of partway through my list of things I'm rethinking. And and or unlearning or relearning or whatever you want to call it. And I think as you pointed out a couple episodes ago, that it's that this term deconstructing. And since you mentioned that, I'm like I'm realizing that this is like a thing. <laughs> this term, I don't know if it's just become a thing because it's a term, or I think it's probably it's, it's always been a thing that people have been dealing with or going through. But this idea of deconstructing your faith, um, figuring out, like, pe- pulling a, a, a pulling apart the pieces down to the bedrock, basically. Okay. And figuring out what this stuff means, why you believe it, is it worth believing, all that kind of stuff. And I love that term because uh, it really ca- kind of captures a lot of things. And there are there are a lot of people out there who are, I mean, there's deconstructing podcasts, there's books on deconstructing, on and on, that I've found out, found recently. And here I thought that I was, I came up with a, an, an original idea, but that's not possible anymore. It's, there's no such thing. No. Everything creative I've ever come up with, I'll Google it, and there's already three people who made a website about it. Yes, yeah, so. right. But... Deconstructing does not mean you tear down the house and walk away. 
I think the reconstructing is hugely important, and I think we've mentioned that before. So I was thinking of all these things that I have listed, and, and we'll get to them at another time, but instead of just going through a list and kind of getting stuck on talking about one for not long enough, yeah, uh, I, I thought, what are the, like, the thing that kind of is the underpinning of a lot of my beliefs in general um, is is the Bible, is scripture. And I have been over the past 10 or 11 years doing a lot of thinking about the authority of scripture, what that means, what that doesn't mean, um, what inspiration is, uh, all that stuff. Um, and, th- and, I, and so I, I figured that I should start with that as, as far as our discussion goes to really, because it kind of, like I said, it's the underpinning for all, most of my beliefs and most of the direction that I've gone in my life. Um, and it informs a lot of things in my, in, in my spiritual life. Uh, so the, I guess the question in general is what's the deal with the Bible anyhow? <laughs> yeah. What is this thing? And I had kind of mentioned that, uh, earlier that a way I've realized my relationship with God was like Facebook stalking God. And what I yeah. meant was that I felt like my relationship with the Bible was out of whack with my relationship with God. So definitely there's some ideas there where, that I've been rethinking. So I'm interested to hear yeah, uh, and, and this is kind of a we. I mentioned how the the growing up in the Church of Christ, uh, you get this vibe that some people kind of worship the Bible more than God sometimes, um, and that's obviously a very judgy and, and kind of inflammatory statement. And I don't mean it to be that way, but that's it's the feeling you get sometimes. When, um, and, and the feeling of the, the feeling that people, that we are the church of Paul, not the church of Christ, that we're, that we're following Paul's teachings more than Jesus's teachings. I think, I think there's a sacredness in there that it, that's not the same as reverence because, you know, it, Muslims have a high reverence for their text in, in how they handle it, how they translate how they handle it physically i mean how they yeah. translate it or don't but i'm i mean there there's a little bit of a sacredness that has to do with um an untouchableness or a you know a refusal to there's a lot of taboos it seems like it you know yeah there are a lot of taboos and i mean i remember as a kid being told by my bible teacher to be very careful with the bible because that's god's word you know and we teach the little kids the little pat 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 your bible pat you know in the little tiny kids class um and i i love the anyway well i don't know starting from the top not intending to be an authority here i I think that these are things that i'm truly trying to figure out and thinking through um and part of it's just kind of getting these things dumped off of my chest and dumping it on your chest instead. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Payback uh, for last week. Yeah, right. Uh, and I, I really want to know what you think about some of this stuff and uh, honestly what the listeners think as well. 
Um, so I'd love to hear back from people. Following the fire podcast at gmail.com. Indeed. So, like we said, the church we grew up with put a lot of importance on Bible study. Um, Bible classes for every age, Sunday and Wednesday. Sermons are often exegetical, meaning like like digging into the meaning and pulling apart verses. And it, so the exegetical studies of passages. We had Bible Bowl tournaments. Nice, as a kid. yeah. Um, and even now, there are groups who, especially mostly in the South, who have competitions on who can memorize the most scripture. Um, and those are a whole another issue that I've got. That's we'll get into that at some other time. Um, and I and I grew up with a very traditional view of the Bible. Like I said, it, it's God's word. And the, there were the three I's that I was taught, um, like the letter I. Inspired, infallible, and inerrant. Um, so inspired meaning that while God used humans to record the words of the Bible, it's he himself who was behind what they wrote. And he didn't just give them good ideas, but the very words of the scripture. He basically... Like I had this vision in my head as a kid of God almost inhabiting a person's body and like guiding the pen. Sure. And that's the reason that not just churches of Christ at all, but that's what the reason many, many uh, Christians put so much emphasis on like verb tenses of the Greek word and the placement of this letter versus that letter or whatever. Because if God actually guided the hands of Paul that wrote the, the letter to the Corinthians, then that exact word he used and the tense of the word and all that kind of stuff is, is, is meaningful and it has value and weight. So that's why a lot of Christians tend to dig into some of these words possibly too much, but that's kind of where it comes from. Hmm. Um, and then infallible means that uh, God used these humans to pen exactly what God wanted, kind of without any mixture of error, which is kind of related to the first one. Yeah. Just kind of calling it out that there's no error in the words that were written, that they are right. And inerrant means kind of the same thing as the first the two, really. <laughs> it means that God's word is incapable of error, inerrant. So huh. anything that in it is in it, is one, something God wanted to be there. It's two, um, it, it's right. And three, it's inerrancy is usually is usually used to refer to like, internally it is correct. It, it agrees with it with itself. Um, there's, that makes sense. There, there's nothing contradicting other parts of the Bible. Yeah. And all that leading up to the fact that it is therefore the ultimate authority for everything we do believe, etc. And I will say that interpretation of the scriptures is another rabbit hole that we'll go down another time. But I mean, that has a huge impact on how we understand the Bible, obviously, you know, culture and language and all that stuff. But what I'm talking about is the, is the content itself before interpretation comes into it. Like where did this, where did these words come from? And how important are they? All that. 
So growing up, that's kind of my view of things. Um, when I went to college, I majored in Bible, got a BS in biblical studies. Um, so I had tons of, of classes on scripture. I had classes on how to study scripture, uh, classes on all the, all the books of the Bible. And so it was, it was a big emphasis on my life and it always has been. And I have looking behind me, I've got shelves and shelves and shelves of books. Most of them are reference material for how to study the Bible commentaries or, or what, whatnot. Yeah. So it's something that's been a big part of my life and it, and it, I think it always will be because I, I have great respect for the Bible, but what I'm trying to not, what I'm trying to do is to say, to say, to, to see that in myself and try to kind of deconstruct that a bit and see, I don't make sure or see in which ways maybe I'm off of how, how important that is. And if one, if parts of it are more important than the others, um, and it kind of, when things started changing for me a little bit, or when this kind of came up in my mind was, I, I had to look up the date. It, it was 2010 in May. Um, I was teaching a class at our church here in town on the book of Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews. Great book. Um, regardless of who you think wrote it, <laughs> Paul or Barnabas or some other random person. Um, uh, I was going through, it was kind of an exegetical study, kind of a chapter verse by verse thing. Uh, and I started noticing, you know, much of the New Testament quotes the Old Testament in lots of different ways and yeah. to different extents. And I noticed that there were some misquotes of the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews that kind of confused me. Um, he, the writer of Hebrews misquotes several Old Testament passages like um, Hebrew, we can look these up some other time but I don't want to spend too much time on them but Hebrews 8, 7 through 9 refers to Jeremiah 31, 32 but it quotes it the wrong way and it says different things um, and there's a couple other examples in in. Hebrews as well. And and then I started looking into that more. I'm like, I thought that the New Testament was supposed to correctly quote the Old Testament, what's going on here. And then I found that like Luke 24, 45 to 47, where Jesus says that as it's, as it is written in, in th that it says that the, the son of man will suffer and die and, and three days he'll rise again or something to that effect. Well, that's not written anywhere in the Old Testament or any, in any other old writings that, we've, that we know of. Right. So either there's a book of the Old Testament that we don't have, maybe that's it, and Jesus knew about it and we don't know about it, or something else is going on, maybe somebody added it later, I don't know. And then I found out later that Jude quotes the book of Enoch, Enoch, yeah. I, first I was first about Enoch, that one. which is considered now to be a later forgery that wasn't written by Enoch, and it, it's never it was never part of any canon, old, old, old or New Testament. So I started thinking through all this stuff 
And I'm like, what what in the world? <laughs> if if the Bible's inspired, infallible, and inerrant, why are these uh, inconsistencies there? And there are more there are more that you could list. And at the same time, there are, if you talk to different Bible scholars and teachers and preachers, you can explain this stuff away in different ways. And there are a lot of seeming misquotes in the New Testament that do come down to something as simple as they were quoting from the Septuagint, which was the Latin translation of the Old Testament, which was slightly different because, you know, it's like, it's like the game you, yeah, it's like you, the game you stick some a, a phrase into Google Translate, and then you loop it through a bunch of times over different languages, and you see what yeah, you get out at the other end. They were speaking Aramaic, but we wrote it down in Greek. But they were quoting Latin, but the Latin was quoting Hebrew. Right. <laughs> Nailed it. That <laughs> sounds like a joke. If you if you didn't know, it's like I just said an accurate thing about the New Testament. A lot of the passages, but. Yeah. It sounds like a, a joke to, you know. It does. But you're right. You just said a hundred percent accurate thing right there. Right. So, and that that can be some of it. Um, but so that that was kind of like the first. I don't know the first hint to me that something is a bit off, and I think I also mentioned earlier, like maybe even in the first or second podcast about how. The, the discovery that James is not the name of James, it's Jacob, and it was changed for random reasons. Um, That's kind of like uh, most of the books don't have names. Yeah. We, we came up with the names, and also they don't have headers, right? We came up with the little things that say, you know, Jesus addresses the 12. Yeah. You know, that, that's not in there. Or there also weren't when... Luke is writing, he didn't say chapter one, yeah. verse one. We we applied that later, but I think uh, both of us came from a culture steeped in biblical study, um, in, including some things about where did the Bible come from. But I, I think an important perspective as well is if you didn't grow up that way, what you would come to believe that Christians believe about the Bible is probably those same three eyes. It's probably be like, yeah, they think it that it fell out of heaven and God wrote it, and that it's you know perfect. But I think you know looking at uh, problems or or uncomfortable things in the Bible, you know, um, it can be a faith crisis for for someone who grew up thinking the that there are no mistakes in the Bible. But it, there can also be a blind spot in how high we're elevating this thing that has no authority if you're not a Christian, like zero authority. Yeah. Right? So if what you know about the Bible comes from the Simpsons, which is, you know, probably what 30% of Americans kind of have soaked up. Like, yeah. what is the Bible? I, you know, so, so it's, it'd be, and it, I can't step outside of my perspective truly and see that. But, um, what doesn't make sense is when we stick so strongly to something that is clearly incorrect or as my my grand you know my grandpa church of christ preacher what he couldn't stand was the geological things that christians would claim 
it were just laughably incorrect because he was a geologist, you know? Right. Um, so I, I think there's some, both of us have grown up where we'll use the Bible as the proof uh, that the Bible is correct. Yeah. You know, um, but and that's fine it, for either a culture that, you know, the Church of Christ was born into a culture of the 1800s and even into the 1900s when, you know, we were convincing people who already believed that Christianity was correct and that the Bible is an authority. We were just talking about what's in it and what, what that means. But that means nothing to someone who places, you know, zero weight in, in that book. And I, I don't know if you have friends who don't want to derail too much, but it, their belief of like, how does, has this 2000 year old document come to us is very interesting. And, and I, I wish that we were more open as Christians to both the, I don't know, the humanness and the ancientness of this text and the Jewishness of most of it, but also kind of some of the, you know, what is amazing about it, but also what is, you know, problematic about it. But I think we're kind of scared of some of those things. Yeah. And I, even when I notice these things and I'm, when I'm teaching a class or whatever, I know that I've got to be very, very, very careful about what I say and how I say it. Because there are things that, like, to me, throughout my study, throughout my entire life, I, I've gotten to the point, and a lot of, even very, a lot of conservative pre preachers and teachers will admit that there are verses and, and parts of Scripture that have been added later, for example. Like the last several verses of the book of Mark talking about this handling, handling snakes with then we'll, they won't like with then we'll get poisoned and some of these weird stuff uh you yeah. know if you if you look at almost every single translation will say the following x number of verses were are not in the earliest manuscripts and Which so is their politically correct way of saying uh <laughs> yeah it's a politically correct way of saying this was this is in a lot of bibles but probably shouldn't be <laughs> yeah so we're just going to Leave it here so we can still sell our book. Yeah. And, uh, but it's probably not actually supposed to be scripture. And uh, even like famous stories that we have of Jesus, uh, well, one specifically uh, in the book of John, where uh, the men bring this woman to Jesus to stone her because she was caught in adultery. And Jesus leans down, starts writing in the dirt with his finger. And he says, you know, you without the first, without sin, cast the first stone. Every single scholar that I've ever read totally agrees that that was added like 300 years later after John was written. Wow. And if, and if you look at the structure of the book, I'm, I'm, you know, to get extremely nerdy here for a second, like it, it's structured as a giant chiasmus, which is this like nerdy, <laughs> uh, Literary term meaning that it, it like kind of it makes an X, and, uh, and so but the the entire book is structured that way except for that one story throws the whole chiasmus out of whack, huh? So even that kind of points toward it not being there. So most people explain that away as well. It was a probably a story that was written that everybody knew about Jesus, just wasn't written down anywhere. 
And so somebody decided to finally write it down there. Because there are lots of books and lots of documents that we don't have in our Bible that were even from the time of Jesus or around that time that have stories of him and stories of things that he did and said um, that the, the, even a, bo a book that used to be considered scripture by some called The Sayings of Jesus, I think. So there's a lot of stuff that's there that's just not in our Bible. Um, anyway, so I, I've, I've got to be careful because I don't want to... So say, and some and that that kind of stuff doesn't bother me because I know that as you as you go through two thousand years of time, there's going to be some things that are added and some things that are removed or changed by somebody who didn't know better or is trying to be nefarious or whatever. And to me, big deal. I think that there are a lot of things that to me I try to go back to what really really matters. And so when I'm teaching classes and things. I avoid that stuff like the plague because I don't want that to overtake the entire lesson that I'm trying to teach. You know, and if I get if I get into that thing about the story about Jesus writing in the in the in the sand and explaining that whole thing, then people are going to get stuck on that and miss the whole point of how Jesus is trying to show love to people. That make that makes sense, and that that kind of reminds me, though, for I would say a lot of people. Maybe most Christians, uh, that discussion, even bringing it up, is feels very threatening. Absolutely. So it feels, uh, I'm trying to think of exposed, maybe. I'm a, I like to hike, and the scary things for me when I'm hiking are exposure. That's where you've got a narrow little ledge to walk on, and if you make a mistake, then you're going to fall off. And, yeah. and I think we don't like that feeling of exposure. And, and so anything that gets remotely close to that questioning type of feeling doesn't have to be about something as sacred as the Bible. It could be something as sacred as what our, you know, single congregation does every week or what our preachers wear or something. Even mm -hmm. sometimes questioning those bring up that exposed feeling. But I think especially, especially this one, um, it's, it's not, it's not even, you mentioned some big stuff, yeah. but, um, it's very common for there to be, let's say, uh, this word here was transliterated, meaning when it was written in one language, instead of translating it into English, we just took their word and turned it into an English word, mm -hmm. um, but it actually means, you know, something else. It actually has a meaning, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, like deacon. Deacon. Uh, I was trying to think of the, um, well, like, you know, angel, ah, right? Right. Um, you know, and, and and I think even for people who who have never questioned, you know, how did the Bible even get into English, right? Right. Uh or, or certainly, you know, how, how did the Bible, how did canon, which is the official books and order of the Bible, how did that come about and when and why? Um, I, I think for people who have never encountered that, any single pinprick pops a balloon for them that, that feels pretty devastating.
Yeah, and I, and a lot of that comes to the the term you just used, like the the, uh, I think you said holiness of scripture or something to that effect. Um, sacredness. That you when you said that something is sacred as scripture. Uh, I'm not saying that that's that scripture is not sacred. What I'm wanting to figure out is how sacred. Is every verse as sacred as the next verse? Are are the things that Jesus said more important? Um, you know, there's a book that I really like called Red Letter. It's called Red Letter Christians, and I think and uh, Shane Claiborne, who's you know kind of one of those liberal activist guys who's a Christian, wrote wrote it with I forget who else, but th their their focus was on looking at the red letters in the Bible, what Jesus said, and like, what what if we did what Jesus actually said to do? Uh, and like, the Jews didn't view the sections of the Old Testament as equal in weight. Uh, There's the Torah, which was the first five books of the Old Testament, which is by far the holiest part of the Old Testament to them, or just the the Tanakh, as they call it. Not, they don't call it the Old Testament. <laughs> um and then there's the Nevi'im, which was the prophets, like Joshua Judges and uh, and things like that, and a bit of history. And then there's the Ketuvim, which is the writings that had Psalms and Proverbs and Ruth and Esther, things and, and those kind of, kind of books. And it's kind of a a tiered look at the importance of those sections of the Tanakh to them. Torah was more important than Nevi'im, more important than the Ketuvim. They were all scripture. They all felt that they were from God and they were useful for learning and and all that, but the key, the core was the Torah, and so I've always been taught that you know all Scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching and etc. From you know Second Timothy three, um, but then that gets to the question of what is Scripture? Who decides what Scripture is? Is it just over a, a number of years, if enough people agree that it is, then it is? Or is it somehow guided by the hand of God, which is kind of something that's been taught to me? But then I start wondering, well, who decides if that's the hand of God? How do yeah. I know that? <laughs> I mean, we talk about fighting against the, the Satan, right? Who know, who Who says that? Satan didn't have a part in that or deceive somebody. And I mean, there are things that we've known about, you know, science, for example, that we know now are not true. Um, I mean, I, it, the, the questions for me just keep popping up and, and the frustrating part to me, if I'm trying to back myself up and try to look at this as somebody who has no connection to the Bible, like you were saying, you can't, you can't, it's, it's like trying to convince somebody that they should be baptized when they don't believe in God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, why are they going to listen to you about Acts 2.38 if they don't believe that God exists? Therefore, this, you have, you have an, a fiction by fiction book in front of you. So why should I do anything it says? But if I right. try to back up, it's the frustrating answers that I get a lot of times are that the Bible says that the Bible is infallible. So therefore, it's infallible. You know, I looked. I I just did a quick Google Google search to see, you know, if 
if a, a random person got in front of Google and said, where did we get the Bible? And one of the first articles that came up was said, and I'll quote it here. Council of Nicaea. I don't know. What's he going to say? <laughs> that, that's a myth, actually. It didn't come from the Council of Nicaea. But it said, um, in asking the question, where did we get the Bible? Ultimately, we must answer that we received it from God. This is, in fact, the claim the Bible makes for itself. And then it quotes Second Timothy 3.16. Um, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching and rebu for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So someone who wants to know where we got the Bible from immediately pops into a circular argument reasoning. Yeah. And that's not helpful. And so, I don't know. Thoughts? The, it, yeah, I think um, the, I think a big part of this has to do with what the Bible means to us because uh, I, I'm somebody, I don't know if this happens to other people, but I find literal spelling mistakes in fiction books all the time. Yeah. Do you, do you, yeah, it happens oh, a yeah. lot. Like oh yeah. One per book. I would say if, you know, Harry Potter length of book, I'm going to at least find one spelling mistake in it. And then I get minimum. Minimum. Yeah. A, a couple is normal. And I, I can't ever, like, how is that possible, first of all, that, that it goes out that way? Um, also, I'm always amazed that I catch it, and I'm sure I miss a lot. But then I get stuck on it for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but then I read on, and I, and I don't question the foundation. I don't question, you know, is the author lying to me? If if it's interesting or if there's something that I've learned from it, I you know, that the error doesn't mean anything to me because... The book doesn't mean anything to me, you know, or not very much. I'm not, I'm not trying to base my life off of it. Um, it's, it's a, you know, so the category or the, I don't know where I elevate it in my life is going to matter. Um, I've, I've noticed in my very limited knowledge of modern Jewish thought. Okay. So mm -hmm. I apologize to modern Jews. Uh, how, <laughs> How little I actually know about about what what y'all are doing, but um, in my own study, I've I've run into Jewish uh, intellectual discussion or a religious discussion of the Torah, and what and there's there is a wider um, array that I've seen of um, discussing these stories, and and they're not as interested in is it true than they are in what are the truths mm. that come out of this text that, for one, if you're Jewish, that form our identity and give us identity and an anchor. Yeah. Um, so it's for them it's important to their identity. It's identity forming, just like it is for Christians. Um, but then, two, they're looking for what are the truths in this story. And, it, and we know as Christians how to do that. When Jesus tells a parable... We don't think he's lying to us. We think um, we can start to think, what are the truths in this story? Jesus just talked about sowing seeds. What are the things we can bring out of this that are useful? And if he had, you know, stretched an analogy and made a mistake about farming, we wouldn't have cared that point because we're in this frame of mind where we are looking for the point. What is yeah, the learning an idea? We're not learning yeah, how to farm. 
Yeah, so if if we if we had started history over and we had this ancient book written and compiled in weird ways at weird times, like in captivity um, for the for the Jewish people, you know, making it through persecution, but then the power of Rome taking over and having a hand in it, and and we looked at this thing and said, "Wow, you know, look at all these different voices who are." trying to guide us in this question from early, early, early agricultural societies to, you know, the more modern Roman times and, and when everyone spoke Greek and you could envision the Christianity where the, uh, an inconsistency is not a threat. Yeah. Does that make sense? The, or even a mistranslation or a, or a translation that, has been altered because of the weight of tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as Restoration Movement Christians, as Church of Christ uh, grown-up Christians, when we read an article about, yeah, you know, all the scholars agree that the word should be translated like this. However, that would make this church mad, but also King James Version translated it like this. And so they decided to keep it that way. Yeah. To us, as it doesn't make any sense. Like, come on, if you know the answer and you want to be correct, then you should use that correct word. But that's us completely discounting that it's an identity forming book as part of this 2000 year old Jesus movement that, that has an identity that's been growing and, you know, expanding. So I think, I think I'm someone who elevates the word of God in its usefulness and in its truth. But it's a very difficult question to answer. If someone said, is the Bible true? It's like, I can't answer that. I can't. What do you mean? Is Psalms one true? Yeah, kind of, but it's a poem, you know, it's not a story. Is Job true? Well, that's missing the point. You know, have you ever suffered? Then do you, do you care if it is a historical what do you mean is what do you mean by truth? And I'm not being relativistic here. I'm I'm saying if I'm a a scholar of the Bible, you know, c- can I answer if Psalm 23 is true or not? Of, you know, its truth speaks for itself because of how impactful it has been. But amazing grace is as true. So I I think the I think the inconsistencies in the Bible are are threatening if you have puffed up a foundation that is a false foundation. Yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah, the whole idea of that the I mean there are so many truths in the Bible. And I no one can ever change my mind on that. Because there are things that Jesus that we have written down that Jesus said, things in the Old Testament and New Testament all along that are just when you put them into play in, in your life, they're true. It's like you know the book of Proverbs, for example, is a, is a great example for this. Not like if you do what the, the book of Proverbs says, you're not guaranteed to get the results that it says. So it's a lie, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just because you don't get the results doesn't mean it's, it's a, a book lie. Of promises. <laughs> right. And 
Yeah. Yeah, and so the we know that, and that's kind of a genre question, I guess. But I, if we know that 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 there are things in the Bible that are not promises, we know that there are the Bible quotes people who are not um, telling the truth, uh, and you know, you can usually tell that kind of stuff. But I mean, I'm trying to. Like my my faith in scripture, as far as being something that Jesus that that God has given us in whatever way, however that works, and that it has truths in it, and it has it's it's the direction that we should go. It shows us how who God is, who Jesus was, and how He lived, and how we should live. Um, it's it's still it's still a huge problem though because yeah. the. We we know from, you know, I'll I'll bring it to mask wearing. So two analogies to mask wearing. One, Dr. Anthony Fauci, in I'm making updates here, March of 2020, said things about, you know, maybe you shouldn't go out and r- rush out and wear a mask. You should, you know, go ahead and you know continue as normal right now, and then re- and then change. Said different things at different yeah. times. And uh, so if if you want this person who people are lifting up as an expert, but by, you know, modern, you know, I can point out how how uninfallible he was, right. right? Wait a minute. This is the guy who knows the best about it? Well, he said this, and now he's saying this. Therefore, I, I'm not going to believe anything that he says. Right. If he, if he could be wrong about, if he said that then, and he's changed now, then I can't believe any of it. And I'm using that as an example because he was probably correct both times in what he knew. And as, as the expert, the more information he gathered, the more he, he started to make this single plea, which was basically, please wear masks. Please take this virus seriously. Yeah. It'll, it'll save lives if you listen to me, right? So th- that's an example, though, where the errors undermine the message, and it does matter because it people are going to totally buy that argument because it's a valid argument to say you didn't match with yourself. We don't like politicians who flip-flop, even if it's possibly an admirable thing to do, right? <laughs> we, And so even for us folks who are trying to say this is useful and good and even maybe inspired, the fact that there are errors are are. A, very large problem for for a lot of people because I because I do want to be able to say not only do I believe this thing but it's got the divine behind it and then we start to make up some things about what that would mean what would it mean to have the divine behind it would it mean that it's perfect well I think that we come to a logical answer that yes it would but is that is that true you know was Abraham perfect and he he was in relationship with God and, and he, he didn't live a perfect life, you know? So the second thing that has to do with masks in the Bible is this article by Tish Harrison Warren that I just read about dual agency or a competitive agency. Mm. And so it's this idea. She wrote a book called liturgy of the ordinary. And I I think she's written a few other books, but she wrote an article that said, in America recently, we've had this argument about masks and 
And if you believe that there's competitive agency as a Christian, that's a way of saying that either God does things or a person does things. Or maybe physics or science does things. So Mm. if a person did a thing, wrote a poem, then God didn't do it because the the person studied and, and came up with the thing. So how it relates to mask wearing is um, this idea that if you trust God and you put on a mask, you are not trusting God because uh, couldn't God protect you? So that's competitive agency saying either God protects you or you protect yourself. You can't do both, huh. right? You protecting yourself is you not trusting in God. So um, her point was, God uses people and God uses things like scientists or rain or drought or whatever. And so you can, you can put on a mask and be protected. And if you're a Christian who believes in simultaneous dual agency, that could be God working through your mask. Mm. Right. And so if, if you believe in that kind of an agency for the ancient people who wrote the Bible, um, and the modern scholars who are trying to interpret and translate better and better the Bible, you could either say, look at all these mistakes, that means it was a man, because it was either a man or a, or a god. Right. Or you can say, these mistakes all point to the fact that a bunch of humans cobbled this together, but this story or the through line or the truths point to the fact that it was divine. That my clumsy attempt at being a Christian is riddled with mistakes, but but that doesn't mean God's not working through that. It it doesn't rule God out that there are problems, you know. Yeah, because I think one of the reasons I'm always so careful to not talk about this stuff, except now that you know I'm talking about it with people <laughs> with publicly, <laughs> just people around the world who don't know me publicly. Um, the re- one of the reasons I'm so con- careful is that I know how quickly people's minds jump to the final, final conclusion, assuming that they know what that final conclusion is. You know, yeah. the, the, it's the, the whole slippery slope argument. Like, well, if you, like all the way back to, if, if you think that that, those last few verses of Mark 16 are not supposed to be there, then all of Mark's a sham. Um, then Jesus wasn't real. Um, you know, God doesn't exist. Yeah, it's like, whoa, slow down. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and just that whole, just that, just that idea. And I like the dual versus competing agency thing because that that helps. That kind of helps me frame this a little bit because, I mean, the Bible clearly has some. I'm going to say some issues as far as a Western 21st century uh, analytical person like me looking at it is going to see these, 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 these problems. However, knowing, I, I think that someone like in Jesus time or before wouldn't see those errors as errors.
Yeah, that, I was going to say, I think the Bible has issues on top of issues. So we're talking about um, the, the problems that are actual uh, inconsistencies or errors or, or things that should have been there or shouldn't have been there. But when you peel that onion back, I've, I've always wanted to teach this class and it would not have gone well. And it's good that I didn't, <laughs> didn't get to get in front of live people and do this. That was the uncomfortable moments in the Bible. Wouldn't that, uh. no one would have gone to that class. I would have had to call it something else, but, but these are the, these are the things that are, they're not er- errors. They're just awkward, you know, like, Oh, that it says that. And, and so I think there's a fear though, that we're deep, we're going to pop the bubble if we, if we admit to those things. So yikes, does he really mean this or this is hard or is this literal or like you mentioned, like, why don't they seem to care that it's in, um, chronological order or why does Luke seem to think it's okay to change literally the words of the Roman soldier to make a point he's making, you know, as a, if that happened in the New York times, it would be malpractice. But if it happens in AD 30 through 80, that's called how you tell a story to articulate your point. Right. Yep. Um, but you know, that's the thing that's threatening to modern people. But I think there are, I think that the practice of approaching even the awkward or the difficult or, or even God forbid the things that we are unsure about mm. in the Bible is I I think that it's uh it's like in a relationship. If you if you are in a relationship, uh, this is a shout out, where you cannot talk to that person about the problems and so you have to pretend everything is fine and you tiptoe around those things that you know are there, you do not have a good strong relationship. <laughs> so if your relationship with the Bible is that you know those places that you tiptoe around it or you don't want to poke this thing and ask you a couple of questions, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, then it, you may have thought you had a good relationship with the Bible, but you have a, a toxic relationship with the Bible. Just like that would be a toxic relationship with a person. Yeah. If, if you, you know, so um, poking those, those points, I'm someone who has learned, and this is in the Bible, so I know it's true, <laughs> Steve, that, um, that the truth sets me free. So that's the part that's in the Bible. That's not what I was going to say, but then I realized what I was going to say isn't in the Bible. <laughs> the truth is not scary to me. Right. I do not have a fear of the truth. And so what that means is that a scientific discovery isn't going to rock my boat a whole lot because I'm not clinging to uh, an interpretation of scripture that I've thought was a you know science textbook. But it also means... Uh, that I can open Nietzsche or Dawkins or the New York Times or listen to NPR, and I'm I'm not going to lose my footing and fall down that slippery slope. Yeah. Be- the truth isn't scary, but I I think that we've going back to my hiking analogy, um, exposure hiking where you've got a little narrow ledge to walk on and it's treacherous. What's below you is that slippery slope. But but I think it's worth getting to the places you can go when you take those paths instead of, you know, walking around in a in a field in Kansas.
Yeah, I, I really also value truth. And I truly believe that you can find that the it, the truth is out there, as the X Files said. Um, I think that tr- it's discoverable. It's discoverable, and maybe not, maybe not discoverable as as much as we want it to be. Uh, kind of going back to the some of the things you kind of alluded to, um, how. Like the Book of John, for example, how it how it structures the last um, few hours and days of Christ. Completely opposite from the way Luke does it, as far as when Jesus was he was he like John seems to indicate that he was what day yeah what was day it? What, yeah. what day was it was was it on, on the Passover was it the preparation day for the Passover you know and but John is trying to make a point he's trying to make a point that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And so by saying he was killed on at the same time that the, the lambs were being killed for the Passover, it, it makes a more solid connection. So for us as, a, as modern Western folk, we see that as something's wrong. It's a lie, etc. But to someone back then, the way that the way that, like you said, that's the way they told stories. The, you know, you you switch it up to make a point, because the over overarching truth that Jesus was the Lamb of God, who was going to help us remove our sins and that kind of stuff, that's more important than which day. Yeah, and I, I'm familiar. So I just realized that's the way that I tell stories. If there's a great like a good one from my past that I've told a couple of times it's different from how it happened because <laughs> what I'm, I'm I'm trying to build up what the punchline is or what's the important theme that I'm trying to get at so I'm I'm accenting some things and downplaying some other things and w- what matters to me so much isn't the you know the chronology or what, what did he literally say it's more like what did it feel like you know what yeah. what am I trying to convey but on the other hand, we have, you know, every few years there's an autobiography that gets released and we find out there was a fabricated part of it or a part of it that was copied from someone else. And that's a huge scandal in 2021 that, wait a minute, you you made up this part of your autobiography. So as modern people, we're, we're definitely on guard for, and it matters to us more, are you telling the exact truth? in the exact order with the exact words. Yeah. Would it be admissible in court? Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that goes more to a, you know, that there's all kinds of problems that we have when we approach with our own lenses and paradigms and culture and expectations. When we approach the Bible with all of that baggage, um, it's, it's very, very difficult to, to read it in a meaningful way. Um, But I, I think just back to this, this discussion of the the problematic scripture, I think if it's your only foundation, it, that's, again, and you're in that toxic relationship where it's your only, that's why people are in toxic relationships. It's the only person I can be with. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm lost without it, right? So I'm, I'm going to stick stick with it. But we have so much more and I'm just barely starting to get into this now, if, if you're someone who wants to have a relationship with God, 
I am proof that you can know the Bible really well and not have that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You can also know the Bible really well and find that and and find those truths. But there's so much more and and especially if you start to think of the through line of the Bible as the important thing and the beauty of all of these different people contributing their their not perfect piece, you can kind of start to add to it. I know this is illegal, but um the music, art, um nature uh yeah. and but you know there are modern writers and compared to the bible modern writers who are continuing this journey and who have that also have truths in them and have usefulness utility in them and then our the the church itself other christians are a are part of that i believe and then a None of that matters if you're not developing a relationship with God. And if you have that, then some of that other stuff, you know, if you find out that the you know, pastor is has some scandal and you built everything off of that one person, then you your foundation is wrecked. But if you if you are seeing yourself in relationship to God in an appropriate place, the Bible is very helpful to help you see that place. And so is a sunrise, in my opinion. And so is a, a lot of uh, Christian and non-Christian art and music and literature, you know? Yeah. And I think that this new, the, well, the, the premise of the podcast, you know, following the fire, trying to, trying to follow God and trying to have a, a more of a relationship with him that's kind of where I'm going with this. Um, with that in mind, you know, I think pulling apart and, and addressing some of these seeming inconsistencies or some of the definite inconsistencies, uh, I, I think I, I need that. And I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people do because my, like I've mentioned, my Western analytical, analytical nature demands that I answer this stuff. Because I have built my, I guess, my faith and it's a lot of my beliefs on the idea that every scripture is admissible into court as evidence Yeah. that this thing is correct. And if any of it is wrong, then the whole case is, gets thrown out. Sure. On a technicality. That's a good, man, that's a good analogy. And, you know... That's just where I come from, and that's, that's who I am. So, when I see these things, I've got to kind of bottom it out. And but I think where where it really is starting to bottom out is not throughout Scripture or anything like that. It's it's what you said quite a, quite a bit ago. How what do you use the Bible for? Like what? What? How? How? What's the What's the purpose of the Bible for you? If it's a rule book, then you're gonna you're gonna be your faith is gonna be dashed against the rocks when you find one, you know, one T not crossed. So it's that's a tautological or that's a circular uh, loop in itself. So I I think you know. Church of Christ has this 
I'm, I'm sure several other Christian approaches to the Bible have as well, but if what matters to you is believing the correct thing or even doing the correct thing, like in worship or in um, some kind of steps of salvation, then what you really, really desire and thirst for is the Constitution, basically. Yeah. You, you want the Magna Carta so that you can go look it up. So I don't know which came first, you know, the the chicken of believing that this is the Magna Carta and then the egg of, um, so then let's go look for the rules. <laughs> or if it was, I want to know what the rules are. And we applied that backwards to the Bible. So it, it does matter if, if you have been using the Bible, especially verse by verse, you know, one at a time, but even, even if you're zooming out a little bit and looking for the, the do's and don'ts, then you have to, you, you have to start by saying, well, then it's got to be perfect because it's got to be in there. But it's not, that's not in there. That's not, that's not what it's, it's doing. It's, it's doing something else and we, we can't impose that expectation on it. And along with it, we, it's not that admissible in court. It's admissible in a concert, right? If you, if you have ever played music um, at a high level, uh, if you are, if you go to an orchestra, uh, man, I'm having trouble with the words orchestral performance, let's say a symphony orchestra, uh, and you're sitting in the audience, you are going to be amazed. Your, your senses are going to, and your emotions are going to go for a ride. If you are sitting in the orchestra pit, uh, and I I've sat there before what I'm noticing are the mistakes Yeah, because, because a symphony symphony, even a professional one is made up of people who are a little bit flat on a note, a little bit sharp, held it too long, too short, came in early, came in late, forgot their line, right? Took a breath at a weird time. Um, it's all, <laughs> it's it's full of that. Um, and so if you're prosecuting them, you'd, you'd throw them out on all those technicalities, but you're really missing the point. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's a lot more fun, by the way, to occasionally... If, if you are in an orchestra, you've got to take a couple of steps back and listen to the music. Yeah. Um, or you're going to go crazy. Yeah. I, I played French horn for years and <laughs> I had to really do that when I, we were playing a march because Sousa can write a march. Yeah. But he up notes. He hated French horns. All you do is for five minutes straight. But I don't know. The march is kind of cool. Yeah. A sane French hornist. I, I could be wrong. I was a lazy saxophonist and we get the French horn horn parts a lot. But uh and I was I just refused to play all of those notes. <laughs> that that's why there's other saxophones. So I, I was like, do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a couple of those. I'm gonna wait for someone around me to take a breath. I'll fill in for them a couple of those, but I refuse. No way. So my <laughs> spread it out uh, a little bit. Oh yeah. My my error rate in, in the, you know, if I wrote a book of the Bible, um, the whole thing should have been like, by the way, um, this guy was kind of nuts. He, he, he was, tends to exaggerate. He's also wrong about a lot. So you should, you know, we have no idea how this became canon. Um, <laughs> and it, it'd be, you know, um, but the, I, I think that, um, I think that letting some air out of these is is really important. 
And again, it's going to feel so scary for if you've never done that, if you've never let any of the air out of anything. But I think, I think you can take that step closer, just like that relationship, but you can take that step closer. And now you can look at some of those points that you've also been avoiding that are in there. I kind of want to hear what those are for people. Cause I, I, I think often I've had those where I'm like, what in the world is going on? And it makes sense to someone else. And I, you know, that that's kind of what I, why I think other Christians are important or other followers or people who are going along with you so that, I, I think part of the point is the discussion and the journey and the growth and not the destination of here's the rule or whatever it is. You know, here's how to vote. That's not in there either. Shoot. You know, I wish it was. Um, sometimes, you know, I mean, <laughs> I. <laughs> sometimes it's a little more obvious. I think obvious it's in there. <laughs> sometimes it's a little more obvious than others. <clears throat> but uh, but in general, it's, it's not telling you. The verses as a former extreme conservative. Now I don't know what to call myself. I loved verses in the Bible that said something about the right side of things. Like the somebody is right and fools are left. It was like, that has to do with democratic politics in America. It's like, does it though? (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't. Yeah. But it's convenient that it supports my point. Whereas I've, throughout through this journey that I'm still kind of going through with scripture and my relationship with it, uh, I think scripture is becoming not less important at all, but differently important. Because I, as we've talked about, I've, I've, I used to have always seen it as a rule book and a way to do and not do stuff and how to... Um, Make sure that you know how to tell people that they're wrong or whatever. But where I'm, where I'm, where I'm coming to is that I'm seeing it more as a, a guide to having a relationship with God. And I think that that's what he wants from us. Uh, I mean, like, like the analogy with father and child, like, with uh it's all through scripture god our father um my my goal is for my to have a relationship a good relationship with my kids for the rest of my life there are a lot of things that they that they can do or not do um that it doesn't matter to me i mean i may have some preferences i may think that maybe they should go over here instead of over there but if they go over there instead, that doesn't mean that, you know what I'm saying? It, it's more of a, I'm, I'm getting more to the point of seeing scripture as looking for the truths in it, not looking for the rules in it. And once again, that's going to freak some people out because, you know, there's definitely some rules in there. <laughs> I'm not saying that there are not. And it's, I think this is to, quote more scripture this is a movement from milk to meat in my opinion so the bible uses milk to to mean 
the simple to digest stuff that babies eat and drink and meat is is when you go up a level um and i, I think a legalism or list desireism or wanting to know what is the exact right thing on every single topic is is the is where we want to be because it's comfortable it's that comfort blanket of yeah complete security and that's a good place to start that's what babies need that you you don't go hiking on the class three or class four ridge up a 14er with a baby right because they will fall and and split their head open on the slippery slope of um difficult hiking analogies but the (laughs) but moving above that and jesus was trying to do this he was trying to say, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can look at that's do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Well, Moses said you can divorce your wife like this, so we can do that, right? Or, you know, But he was saying there's a level above that. It's deeper. It's more complex. It's harder. But it's even more true than the little mini truths or the, the boxes of truth. Um, and it, you can only get there with relationship, in my opinion. And so it's just, what are the the big picture things? And then you find out the answer that, well, it turns out, you know, voting Democrat isn't the same as having a relationship with God or, you know, listening to Rush Limbaugh or hating Rush Limbaugh. It turns out, you know, there's a, I can't just be on the right side of things and then, and then sit in my rightness, my correctness for very long because I'm about to be challenged when, you know, the person that I think is completely wrong asks me for help or offers me advice that, that lifts me up or or something. And and so there's being correct about things or incorrect about things is where we want to stay. But the Bible's pulling us on this journey. I think that is um, a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. It's kind of like Jesus. I think he taught a lot like that a lot in that direction. When he says in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, do not kill, do not murder. But I'm I'm saying, don't even have hate in your hearts. Or you've heard it said, don't like commit adultery. But I'm telling you, don't even lust in your hearts after a woman. Um, and it, we want to look at that and go, oh, okay, extra rule. Yeah, you know? I, want to, I want to turn that right back into the the first rule. I want to be like, okay, so which kind of stuff do you mean? You know, how bad is it if I do that? And what does that mean? Yeah. Um, how, how lusty is lust? <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how much can I look at somebody or, or think about things or whatever before I'm, before I'm too far gone? And I'm someone who Jesus could say, do not worry. And then I'm going to worry that, that I'm not worrying enough, you know, that I'm not, not worrying enough. Like, am I worrying right now? And the <laughs> worrying about worrying. I, yeah, like, you know, is this worrying? Is this technically worrying? Let's see. Does Leviticus say anything about worrying? You know, where's he getting this stuff? Yeah, but like in those examples, what Jesus is trying to get at, I don't think he's I don't think he's trying to make another rule. He's trying no. to say that there's something deeper going on here. This is not about the rule. This is about your heart. And where where should your heart be? And that's that's so you can have a relationship with God. Because if you have... A heart that is hateful and and just wants something that you can't have all the time, and just thinking about you know, like doing things you shouldn't do. 
then you're focused on yourself and what you want and your and your selfishness and you can't have a relationship with somebody like with a a, a deity <laughs> when right. you're focused on yourself as the deity and i think so that's the kind of way that i'm trying to look at scripture more in, in general and of course that leads to things like i i, I really so I, I try to do this thought experiment that I'm I'm still kind of working on once in a while. Yeah, you know, looking back through history, about as far as how did we get the Bible, we didn't have a solid canon of the Bible until around the mid fourth century. Um, the first known like solid list of the the books of the New Testament was a. In, in 367, the Easter letter that Athanasius wrote, he was the Bishop of Alexandria, and he, he listed out all the books of the New Testament. And he also excluded Esther and a couple of their, a couple more Old Testament books and, and, add, and added a couple other yeah, Old Testament Yeah, how did Esther books. get back in there? I think that was the yeah. right decision. <laughs> I think it was the right decision. <laughs> but, I mean, there's other books that people wanted, you know, off and on. But, anyway, point being... From 367 back to 33 AD, when Jesus rose from the dead, depending on plus or minus four years, um, that's a long time for Christianity to exist without a solid canon of Scripture in the New Testament. They had, you know, there, there was letters circulating around we know of. We know that they had one or two or three of the Gospels. Um, I found out that one of the, one of the big uh, drivers to have four Gospels was that uh, there there are four zones of the world in which we live and four principal winds. So there are nice four, you know, one for each. Ah, right? I like that. Four direct, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's why there's four for the four elements, of course. Right. Just kidding. <laughs> and so you had three hundred years, give or take, with no New Testament. At least not a complete one as we we see it. So, what would I do? What would the church look like if it had nothing but word of mouth, teachings of Jesus, and some written down stories of Jesus? Like we were pretty sure that Mark was the first one written, or possibly something before that that we call Q. Um, oh no, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> But, it means something I mean, completely different now. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, shoot. So nice. it was a Q drop. <laughs> Q drop number one was uh, Jesus, you know. No, it's Anyways. German for Quella. means source. <laughs> Calm down. But so... Uh, you are just... It's just music to my ears. You are confirming my Q beliefs. Uh, so if, what, would, what would Christianity look like in that time before the New Testament came along? And... That's I don't have solid answers, and I'm, and you know, as soon as I say that, I try to think, you know, what was what would my worship look like, so I can make sure to get the like check all the boxes that that, that they would have checked, you know, and. But and, it's a it's kind of a silly answer because I I think one answer is they would have gotten a lot of stuff wrong. It would have be it, it'd be different from region to region, um, you know the it's not that because they were closer to Jesus in time that they had the more truth and we've been slowly losing it over time. It right. was like, yeah, they, they didn't have a whole lot to work with. So 
Yeah. So if they got it wrong, is it wrong? I mean, we would say it's wrong, but uh, well, they they would get. Well, they, I think they got it different. Yeah. What would they have leaned on? What would have been important to them? And I think we know some things like, well, they got around and talked about Jesus a lot and ate food. Yeah. Um, I, and I have they a tried to who, live like Jesus lived. I have, I have a friend who posts this th- annoying thing, all you know, constantly. But he likes to say, "You say that I need to base my church on the Bible, but your Bible is based off of my church." <laughs> what? Because he's a. Not sure um, what that means. So he because he's an Orthodox, right? So oh. he's saying like, "What are you talking about? We we did church, and in doing church, we ended up with a Bible." And now you're saying that our, you know, our church needs to look at the Bible for how to do church. But we, you know, you're welcome for giving you the Bible. We, you know, the you've got it backwards. The Bible is the result of the church. The church isn't the result of the Bible. Huh. So that uh, I've, you know, he, I've always, he's a, he's an interesting character. But it's a, it's at least an interesting point because. Um, there probably would have been a lot of scripture. It would have been the Torah. Um, and then a lot of Jesus stories and, and then people passing along the, the stuff that was important to them. And it, and it, it was probably maybe, maybe when you take that stuff away, it's easier to realize like, Oh, it's okay. If some of my customs have to do with the people around me, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, who cares what language we speak, who cares what, you know, let's write the Bible in that language or who cares what clothes we wear. It matters how we look to our community. You know, we're not supposed to dress like, uh, Judeans. We're supposed to dress like Corinthians. I don't know any, I don't know where these places are, but, (laughs) um, and, but it might have been important to be like, what's the important stuff. And, and we do have a glimpse because of Paul's letters that they got it really wrong a lot. Like, way, way wrong. Like, you know, like, Hey, you know, we're, we're saved. And so we get to do whatever we want because that's, that's like a grace, you know, lever every time I <laughs> sin, then I'm making God's grace more amazing. He's like, oh, okay, uh, that's, you know, stop doing that thing. Who knows what the third worst thing was that they were doing that he's like, I'm going to let that slide because yeah. you got to get the, the, that grace thing under control. Um, yeah, but I, w- I wonder, and I, I haven't really, delved into the letters of Paul and, and the other books in the New Testament in this from this perspective. But how much of that stuff could we uh, figure out or based upon just not having this, the, the Gospels? If that's all we had. What's the minimum viable Gospel? Is that what <laughs> you're saying? Minimum viable Bible. Yeah. What's, what's MVB for getting it and i you know it's a, it's a little bit of a foolish question almost but i think the answer is a, it's a very low number i think it, if we were writing down numbers it, i'd write a pretty surprisingly small number down yeah and i i think i think i agree with you which but it doesn't mean i burn up the rest it's right. because it's like ah what's it's like uh, i've been shopping for sleeping bags and there's the comfort uh rating and then there's the survival rating yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, we we get by with this, but I'm kind of it's kind of nice that it's a little bit warmer than that, yeah. you know. I don't I don't want to be there. I it, it reminds me of the Bob Goff anecdote of the 
witch doctor. Yes. Do you know what I'm yes, talking about? So, um, it's the, you know, the, first of all, the worst possible people in society that get love showed to them. That's horrible. That's a horrible thing that Jesus teaches us to do. That is convicting all the time. Um, that we're supposed to love our, not only our neighbors, but our enemies. Yeah. It's the worst. It's annoying. Um, so he was like, oh, there are enemies. That means we have to love them. But he, he basically teaches the witch, witch doc, doctor the gospel. The witch doctor then goes to prison or something, teaches the other witch dos, doctors a very contorted, you know, wrong-headed mm-hmm. version of the gospel and baptizes them all. Um, and it, But it's not a warning. It's not like, oh, I should have taught him more of the Bible and he should have waited and studied more. It, it's more like, yeah, all right, you know, we've got some work to do now. Sure, we've got a couple of Paul-like letters to write them. That's fine. Yeah. Well, well, we can get them that. But they they got the little thread of of truth surrounded by all kinds of wrong. But isn't that what? Aren't we all kind of doing that? You know, I I don't know what I I don't want to know what my proportion of wrong to right is, and I don't want to be judged on that either. Yeah, I think best we can do is do the best we can do. Um, and throughout this whole process of pulling things apart and trying to figure out what, what sticks and what doesn't, to just keep trying to, to focus on a relationship with God. And, and I, I think I want to I wanna add to that a relationship with God and trying to be a person like Jesus was a person. Um, not that all you need in the Bible is the Gospels. I'm not, you know, tossing, like you said, I'm not tossing it out. Um, right. What I'm, I'm just trying to distill it down to <clears throat> what, what's the most important thing and what are things that, I, I think there's just so much of Scripture that we have fought a, a, about so long and we've hurt each other. We have split churches. We have thrown people to the wolves in so many ways over things that I, I don't think that we should have done. And so I, I just hope that we can all turn our eyes on Jesus, you know, like the, the old hymn says. And the things of this earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his work, <laughs> however it goes. It's also, man, I've got uh, a lot of CO2 in my flu. It's also, uh, if your eyes, if your eyes are going strangely dim it could also be carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> oh man it's been good talking to you it's been good yeah see you next week but you only wanted love we're really glad you joined us for our discussion today for show notes and contact info please go to followingthefire.com we'd love to hear from you We'd also really appreciate you giving us a review wherever you happen to get your podcasts. And special thanks to Daniel Wheat for our music. You can find more of his stuff on Spotify and Apple Music. See you later. Don't you know it's all I have But even on my heart can't compare with what you're worth